turn in our Bibles to Matthew 7. This passage again, it, it tackles, like the one before it about worry, such an important and practical topic that it bears repeating more than once. So we're going to look at this again this morning. Matthew 7, 1 to 6. And I just want to say right at the beginning that I hate to admit this, but Michael Jackson was right. At least about one thing. You remember the song in the early 1980s, Man in the Mirror? I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. Jesus agrees. Jesus agrees with Michael Jackson, at least about this one thing. (laughs) The, The way Jesus sings his man in the mirror song has to do with a speck of sawdust and a plank of wood. It's such a human, natural tendency, isn't it? To, to see the faults in others, but not the faults in ourselves. We, we can see so clearly what's wrong with our bosses, and our teachers, and our parents, and our spouses. But it's so much harder for us to see what's wrong with ourselves. Let me read a little blurb to you from uh, an old magazine, The Christian Reader, and think if you relate to this boy described here. He's visiting a neighbor, and his name's Andrew. Five-year-old Andrew pulls out his kindergarten class picture and immediately begins describing each classmate as he shows it to his neighbor. This is Robert. He hits everyone. This is Stephen. He never listens to the teacher. This is Mark. He chases us and is very noisy. Then pointing to his own picture, Andrew comments, and this is me. I'm just sitting here minding my own business. (laughs) I'll admit it. It's easier for me to see what's wrong with everyone else than to see what's wrong with me. You know, I particularly remember as a kid um, wondering at, at some of the things my parents did. And I remember thinking, why can't they be more patient? Or, or why can't they stop for a minute and put themselves in my shoes and really understand me? And now I have four kids and I know why. <laughs> Are some of you relating to this? Yeah. We find it easier to find faults with others. And religion, if we're not careful, just gives us more ammunition. After all, Jesus has set a high bar for us, right? Quite a high bar. We've been seeing it in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he set a standard, and, and so he and we expect more from those who claim to follow Jesus, from those who call themselves Christians. We know that our behavior and our attitudes matter. And so when we see other Christians not acting in line with what it means to be a follower of Christ, Bells go off in our heads. This should not be. They should not be acting that way. And there's something good about this because God wants us to to love the truth and to love what's right and to be passionate for justice and for righteousness, for holiness. Yet there's there's a big danger here too. and, And this is what Jesus is very concerned to raise with us in today's passage. And so he commands us and he warns us, do not judge or you will be judged. Do not judge others. That's Jesus' message to us in this passage, pure and simple. 
Clear enough? Don't judge. But it's not quite that simple, is it? Because as, as Dave Deal pointed out last Sunday, in other places in God's word, we learn that God expects us, in a certain sense, to judge others, or, or so it seems. Let, let me give you three examples of this just to remind us uh, where it does seem God is calling us to judge. First, if we look down at the last verse of our passage in verse 6, this this confusing verse where Jesus warns us not to uh, throw our treasures to dogs or to swine. And nobody's quite sure what Jesus is getting at here specifically. Probably his original audience understood. But in general, it seems to be a warning not to continue to share the good news about Jesus or the teaching of Jesus with people who have proved themselves in some way to be hostile and abusive toward this message. And so we have to ask, how can we decide when this warning applies, who it applies to? How can we know which people are acting like the dogs or the swine that Jesus talks about if we don't judge people? Are you following me? Second, just a little further down in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus warns us to watch out for false prophets who are like ferocious wolves in sheep's clothing. Again, how can we figure out who's a sheep and who's a wolf in sheep's clothing if we don't judge? And then third, there's Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17 in particular. There, Jesus teaches that if a brother or sister sins, we're to go to them privately and to seek to win them over. And if they don't respond, then we bring one or two others along. And if that doesn't work, then we bring the matter to the church. So there's that passage where, where Jesus teaches us that. But if we're not to judge, how can that any of that ever happen? How can we ever accuse a brother or sister of sinning? I mean, what could be more judgmental than to go to a person and tell them to their face, I think you're wrong here. I think you're sinning. So is Jesus contradicting himself here? And if he isn't, and I don't think he is, then how do we reconcile and make sense of all this? What does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? And what doesn't he mean? Well, let me remind us briefly of some of what Dave Deal said last week. Um, by starting with a quote from John Stott, the, the late British Bible teacher who is so often good about setting us on the right track. He says, Our Lord's injunction to judge not can't be understood as a command to suspend our critical faculties in relation to other people or to turn a blind eye to their faults, pretending not to notice them, or to refuse to discern between truth or error, goodness and evil. Have you known people who, who do this? People who, who can look evil or injustice in the face and, and they won't do a thing about it. They just walk away and say, well, who am I to judge? Imagine if our police force or our justice system operated that way. Imagine if that's the way our teachers or parents responded to the disputes of the children that they're charged with taking care of. If we interpret Jesus' command do not judge wrongly. It can be a big cop-out, right? An, an excuse, sorry, to, to, um, to shirk our responsibility to protect the innocent, to work for justice, to help a person face and deal with their faults so that they can grow. 
So whatever do not judge means, it doesn't mean that we don't notice wrong when we come across it. And it doesn't mean that we never confront people when they do wrong. So what does it mean then? Well, let's see if we can tease this out. <laughs> Let me try to give you very quickly uh, three things Jesus is not saying when he says do not judge. And then let me explain what I think he is saying. First, Jesus is not saying that we should have no moral standards. Jesus' teachings, after all, are loaded with moral teaching and direction and commands, right? Second, Jesus is not saying we shouldn't notice when someone does something wrong. We can't help but notice sometimes. If someone is gossiping about a friend of ours, if a coworker is making off with company materials, if a married man is heading into a hotel room with a woman who's not his wife, we can't help but notice. And Jesus never asks us to, to stick our head in the sand and to play some kind of holy pretend game as if, if everything's all right when it isn't. Third, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't at times confront the person who's doing wrong. That's what Matthew 18 is all about. If someone who claims to follow Jesus does wrong, we are um, to lovingly go to that person and to point out their fault to them, especially if we know that person and we have a relationship where they trust and respect us. Okay, so if Jesus is not saying those three things when he says do not judge, then what is he saying? Well, I think he's saying this. I think he's saying do not look down on others. Do not consider them less than you or inferior to you. And do not consider them unworthy of God's mercy or of your own mercy and forgiveness. Let me say that again. When Jesus says, do not judge, I think he's saying, do not look down on others. Don't consider them less than you or inferior to you. And don't consider them unworthy of God's mercy or your own mercy and forgiveness. This has to do with our heart attitude. It has to do with what's going on inside of us when we look at a person in whom we think we see a fault. We're, we're judging them when we're mentally wagging our finger at them, thinking... And so now let me give three ways that, that we do this. Three ways that we do judge people that Jesus is telling us to stop doing. First, we judge people when we criticize them. When we criticize them publicly. When we criticize them even to a few trusted friends. We're not talking about them behind their back because we love them and we're concerned for them, right? Often, if we were concerned for them, we'd have gone to them personally, gently, lovingly to point out their fault. But no, here we're criticizing them behind their back because we're looking down on them and somehow we feel that we're better than them. And so we're talk, talk, talking about them behind their back or publicly to other people. Now, of course, some of us are bolder than that, and we do go up to people and criticize them to their faiths. Again, not in love, but in disapproval and censure. And in this, we're judging them as well. So that's one way that, that we judge. Uh, second, we judge people when we look at a person's actions, and based on those, we make assumptions about their motives and their character. A great example of this was a letter that Ann Landers, the famous advice columnist, once received based on one of her 
personal col- uh, sorry local columns. It was from a grocery store checkout lady who was complaining that uh, she'd seen people buying luxury items. She checked people out with their food stamps. They were buying things like expensive pre-made birthday cakes and things like that. And the, the writer who wrote this to Ann Landers concluded that that she thought these people on welfare were just wasting our tax money on unheated lux- unneeded luxuries, and they were lazy and they were wasteful. And several weeks later, Landers devoted her column to responses she received to this checkout lady's write-in letter that had been published. One woman wrote in response, I didn't buy a cake, but I did buy a big bag of shrimp with food stamps. So what? My husband had been working at a plant for 15 years when it shut down. The shrimp casserole I made was for our wedding anniversary dinner and lasted three days. Perhaps the grocery clerk who criticized that woman would have had a different view after walking a mile in my shoes. Another woman wrote, I'm the woman who bought the $17 cake and paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know is the cake was for my little girl's birthday. It will be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone in six months. Sometimes what looks to be wrong doesn't seem so wrong when you better understand the circumstances. An article in Christianity Today magazine adds further that when someone else sins, there are three things we don't know. We don't know how hard the person tried not to sin. We don't know the strength of the temptation the person was fighting against. And we don't know what we ourselves would have done in the same circumstances that they were living in. So when we make a jump from noticing people's actions to making assumptions about their motives or their character, we are judging. So criticizing, moving from actions to assumptions. And then the third way we judge people, when we look down on others to build ourselves up, then we're judging. Sometimes we, we, we think, or, or when we think a little less of someone else, it allows us at the same time to feel a little bit better about ourselves, right? Subconsciously, we almost can't help but for that sometimes to happen. We show up at a congregational meeting or a prayer meeting, and it's so tempting to remark about all the people who aren't there. Where are they? Why aren't they as responsible or as spiritual as we are? Why aren't they pulling their weight like we're pulling our weight? And what are we sometimes doing subtly? We're, we're building ourselves up a little. We're, we're giving ourselves a pat on the back, congratulating ourselves for our faithfulness and for our commitment. And Jesus is clear how he feels about this. He says, do not judge your brother or your sister. The old evangelist H.B. Ironsides tells a humorous story about how judging someone else to build ourselves up can backfire. How it backfired once on a well-known Anglican bishop. This was in the 1800s. He was named Alfonso Potter. Ironsides recounts that Bishop Potter was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners of the day. When he went on board, he, he found that another passenger was to share the cabin with him. And when he went to see the accommodations, he then went up to the purser's desk and he inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily he would never avail himself of that privilege, but he'd 
been to his cabin and he'd met the man who was to occupy the other berth. And judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. Well, the purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables, said, it's all right, Bishop, I'll be very happy to take care of them for you. The other man has been up here, too, and has left his valuables for the same reason. (laughs) So much for feeling better about yourself by judging another person. (laughs) Well, have you got a mental handle on what Jesus means when he says, do not judge? He's not telling us not to notice when someone does something wrong or not to lovely or lovingly rather go to the person to point out their fault if we have the rapport poor with them to do so. But Jesus is concerned about our heart attitude when we look down on others. So why is Jesus so concerned? Why does Jesus insist that we stop judging? Well, in verse 2, he explains. He says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is warning us here that there is someone watching us and judging us as well. Now, it was a little ambiguous in the the version that Jillian read. um, But most of the other versions give us the idea that it's God who's judging us, right? God is looking at our life, and it's only fair that God evaluate us by the same standard that we evaluate others. I don't know about you, but I find that to be a scary thought. (laughs) If I get peeved at people who are self-centered, then God says to me, oh, I see you've realized it's wrong to be self-centered. That means I can judge you on your self-centeredness, right? Or if I look down at people who don't pray enough, then God says, so you've recognized that prayer is important. Let me take a hard look at your prayer life. When we judge others by a certain standard, we prove that we know the standard. And we're therefore responsible to keep the standard as well. And if we refuse to grade on a curve and to cut others some slack, then God will grade us the same way. The book Building Strong Families tells an old story about two neighbors that illustrates this well, a baker and a farmer. The baker began to be suspicious that the, the farmer, uh, of the farmer that, that he wasn't getting his money worth when he paid the farmer, the farmer for a pound of butter. And, and he weighed, the baker weighed the farmer's butter on several occasions and, and his suspicions were confirmed and he had the, far, the farmer arrested for fraud. Well, they went to court, and the judge asked the farmer at the trial, I presume you have a balance scale, right? Well, yes, of course, Your Honor, the farmer replied. And you have weights, the judge asked? No, the farmer replied, I don't have a set of weights. So if you don't know about balance scales, you put weights on one, a pound weight on one side, and then your butter on the other side, and they should balance out if it's a pound, right? Um, well, the, the judge asked, you don't have weights, you know, to the farmer, then how do you hope to weigh accurately the butter you're selling to your neighbor? Well, that's easy, the farmer said. When, when the baker began buying from me, I decided I'd buy bread from him. And I've been using his one-pound loaves to balance my scales. <laughs> if the weight of the butter's wrong, he only has himself to blame. 
So, as you go through life and you evaluate other people, how heavy is your loaf? How heavy is your loaf? Are you generous in the way you view others? Your spouse, your family members, your coworkers, others in the church. Do you make allowances for their faults? Do you cut them some slack? Or are you stingy and lean and critical, expecting perfection and straining to notice every place they fall short? In the same way, God will treat you, Jesus warns. Then Jesus consider, uh, continues, imagine your, your brother or sister has a speck in their eye. Now, you know, if you've ever had a speck, it can get irritating, right? Or maybe a gnat or something. It, it, it itches, your, your eyes water, it blurs your vision. And, and so you want to help them. And, and so you, you undertake the very delicate and careful task of helping them get that speck out of their eye. But the problem is, all the while, you've got a log in your own eye, Jesus says. How much help are you really going to be? And how are they going to respond to your offers to help? Now notice, Jesus doesn't have a problem with, with you helping a brother or sister with their speck. That's a good and wonderful thing to do. But he points out, don't even try to help until first you've dealt with your own log. And so what's the log in our eye? Well, our log might be the the sinful behavior or attitude we're struggling with, which we've been ignoring and minimizing in ourselves. but everyone else can see that it's actually a very big problem. Everyone can see but us. That might be our log. Or our log might actually be our judgmental attitude. That we aren't really trying to help our brother or sister with their spec because we care about them. No, we really just like feeling better or holier than other people. And so we go around and we, try to, we judge them and we try to fix them. That might be our log. Or our log might be the fact that, that we do the exact same thing that bugs us about them. You ever notice that? that sometimes the things that bug us most about others are the very things that are our faults too? I remember as a kid when when someone else took more than their fair share of, of the pizza or the, the birthday cake, oh, it would burn me up that they were being so selfish. You know why? Because I wanted more. <laughs> also, it's still sometimes true, so I've been told that I can be a little bit stubborn. And, uh, and guess what really makes me mad when I think Anne or one of the kids is being stubborn? I mean, oh, I want to point it out. <laughs> I want to get that speck out of their eye, but I'm the last guy, evidently, who should do it because I've got the same problem. (laughs) The word Jesus uses for this in verse 5 is hypocrite. You hypocrite, he says. How can you judge? How can you look down on or criticize another person or want to point out their problems when you've got bigger problems yourself? Take care of your own problems first. Start with the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror. And when you've dealt with your own faults, then you'll be in good shape to lovingly and humbly correct others. So notice others' faults? Yeah, we can't help but notice. Go to them caringly and gently and point out those faults? Okay. 
But do not judge. Do not look down on them. So as we close, who have you been looking down on lately? Take a minute and get that person's picture in your mind. Is it the kid at school who's too bossy? Or the girl who flirts too much with the boys? Is it the the parent in church who doesn't seem to have control of their kids? Is it the the CBCer who never, never shows up when there's work to be done, when people need to pitch in and serve? Is it the person who's too intellectual or too talkative or too rich or too opinionated or too impatient or whatever? Have you got that person's picture in your mind? Now picture this. Jesus wraps his arms around them and looks at you and says, sure, they've got their faults. So do you. But I love you and I've forgiven you. And I'm willing to love and forgive them too. How about you? Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your grace. We, every one of us, we need it so desperately. We are so dependent on your forgiveness and your unconditional love for us. I pray by your spirit that you would make us so aware and touch us so deeply with your forgiveness for us and your love for us that our hearts would be opened up, that we would begin more and more to think about and to treat other people the same way, the way you treat them. In Jesus' name, amen.